We are in a series on the fear of the Lord, which is going for one more week after this, so we're coming toward the end of it. Uh, this morning, Allie, at the first service, Allie taught on uh, Luke 5, the story of, of Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish, and we looked at the fear of the Lord from that angle. At this service, we're going to look at uh, the passage I just read, Isaiah chapter 6, and um, try to think through what is the fear of the Lord, what can we learn about the fear of the Lord from, from this passage. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, where I, where I started in what I read, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this is a vision that Isaiah the prophet had, where he saw the throne room of God. And there's a lot that we can learn from that. But as I was getting ready for this Sunday, the thing that caught me most is in the year that King Uzziah died. And um, Matt uh, Benzant had went to a, a thing at the bridge that my brother did for, for regional churches, and he actually taught on the fear of the Lord at that with all the, all the churches, and he, he talked about King Uzziah. And so that intrigued me. So if we look back into Second uh, Chronicles, where it's telling the story about this King Uzziah and who he is. And so King Uzziah's dad had been started out good, though it says he wasn't wholehearted. He wasn't wholeheartedly following the Lord, but it started out um, well, but he didn't end well. And in fact, he got assassinated and they made his son, King Uzziah, king. And that's where we're picking up in this. I'm just going to read a few of the different verses that give us a sense of who King Uzziah was. So Second Chronicles 26, verse 3 says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. 52 years. His mother's name was Jecolia, Jecoliah, something like that. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So he was instructed in the fear of the Lord. Again, and maybe some of you uh, haven't been with us, but we're talking about this idea of the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is something that in Proverbs, it's, it's a beginning, it's a starting place to know reality. It's the beginning and a starting place for wisdom to know how to live well. That's what the fear of the Lord is, and it is promoted in the Bible, like often promoted. Fear of the Lord is a good thing, and then we go through the fear of the Lord, though at least I hear the fear of the Lord, and I think, it doesn't sound like a good, good thing. And so we've been trying to get, immerse ourselves in this. And so here's a, a, a king who has a great reign. In fact, he is the golden age. The, um, for, for the couple centuries, there's Solomon who was at the height. And the closest they got again was probably this king in the next hundred years. And it was as a very young man, he is being taught and trained and immersed in fearing the Lord. Which is like, whoa, whoa. It's God. And it's also like, wow, it's God. There is a, a carefulness, a respect, a revering, but there's also something that is very attractive and we get drawn into like, who is this? 
what is he like? Whoa, there's so much goodness there. So that's who this King Uzziah is. Now, he had gone to war against the Philistines and um, lots of people. And in verse 8, and he had been successful, it says the Ammonites brought tribute. So there's another people. They didn't even go to war. They just knew, like, this isn't going to be good. So we'll just start paying you now to Uzziah. And his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. So militarily, he was powerful. He did a lot of building things. And a couple verses later, he also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So he has got architecture booming. He's got infrastructure booming. He has got agriculture booming. Verse 11, Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by the secretary and by the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. He is also very strong administratively. He is well-organized. He is the, the organization is good. The military is good. Things are good. I think the next verse that we're going to look at is verse 15. We're skipping down in how well-organized and well-prepared the army was, how well-provided for they were. In verse 15, in Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. And so technology, inventiveness, Innovation. This guy's got all of these things, and he became very powerful for 50 years. He, he is well known. Next verse. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So, Pride comes before the fall. So what built him up? He was helped, it said the verse before this. As long as he was helped, he became successful. He became powerful. He became famous. He became all these things with the fear of the Lord. But then, because he became those things, he no longer wanted to follow the Lord. Now, he would have thought, probably, that he was still in a certain way. It doesn't seem to indicate that he ever thought, I'm not following the Lord. It's just that he didn't want any limits. He wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do. And so the priests were the only ones who could go to this part of the temple. The priests were the only ones who could uh, work with the altar of incense. There were priests. But he was like, no, I'm going to do this too. Now, we can be... Let me read one more verse, and then I'm going to go back to that. Verse uh, 20. Which one did I give you? 21? What happened is that he almost immediately had leprosy. Uh, I, should have, I should have given you a different verse. That's okay. He, no, this is good. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. So he is, goes from being very powerful to basically being like set apart, no longer in charge of everything until he died, and, and has a disease until he died. Now, what happens, I think, is that we can say, yes, we believe in you, God. We'll follow you, God. We show up for you, God. We pray to you, God. We do all these things. 
He probably was still doing that. He's showing up at the temple. But we also say like, but basically, God, you serve me. And as long as it's working for me, that's good. But just to be clear, like, don't put, don't put limits on me. Like, I'm praying to you about what I want, and you're not doing it. So I don't know what I think about you anymore. That is part of the attitude that is in Uzziah. I get to do what I want to do, and God becomes my servant for my purposes. And the Lord has blessed him because, as I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, he, he wants to do good for us. He wants to give blessings for us. He, that is his heart. But he's still, the, he's still God. He's still in charge. He is not our servant. And so Uzziah got, in the fear of the Lord, just got to receive the blessing. And then over time, he got to say, like, I'm, I get to do what I want to do. Now, that's what's happening for an individual who's leading the country. But when we look at other prophets who are prophesying around this time that we have in the Bible, what we know is that that became an attitude of a whole people. That they started to take for granted the blessings of God, like of course they should have those blessings, but they weren't living according to the ways of God. Now, if you think about our country, our country has great technology, great infrastructure, great agriculture, great army, lots of building projects, all of this stuff. That's been true my whole life. It's just, of course it is. Been, been a power, of course it is. There are people in our country who lived with the fear of the Lord for many years. I'm not saying everything was perfect. There's parts of, of our, our country what we did was not good. But now there's a sense that, of course, God would bless. Of course, we should be the most powerful country. Of course, we should have everything. Of course, we should be able to do whatever we want. But what about the fear of the Lord? And even if you're talking about those of us who are followers of Jesus, it can be that we have been doing this for a while and Without realizing it, we start to think like, of course God should be doing what we want. And if he's not, so that is the backdrop. And what's going on in the year that King Uzziah died is that there is a bigger power. There is Assyria. That is the power that is taking over country after country, and it is getting closer to Judah, to the... To the uh, nation that King Uzziah is over. It is getting closer. Things are crumbling as it gets closer. And we go back to the passage, 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, and everything is getting falling down. King Uzziah is done. He was the golden king. The, the countries that are getting, that are kind of the buffer to Assyria, they are going down, and it's all coming like this. And in the year that he dies, Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne that's really lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple. Now, all that language is king language. So at the very beginning of Isaiah, it talks about Isaiah was a prophet during uh, Uzziah, I don't know, Ahaz, Jotham, Hezekiah. He's, he is the prophet during all these kings. And he, he says, listen up, heaven and earth, listen up. 
I'm going to tell you about the vision of the Lord. That's how, that's how it starts. And I'm going to talk about the kings and what it means for Jerusalem and Judah. It's very concrete. That's how it starts. And so he's saying that, and the king that everyone reveres has died, and then he gets a vision, and what does he see? He sees the real king. He sees the king that's the king over heavens and the earth. That's all that language that this Lord here is different than uh, Lord God Almighty. This Lord here is sovereign. It is the king. And Isaiah lives the rest of his life differently because the rest of his life he sees who the real king is. So he's interacting with kings and kingdoms for the rest of his life. But he's got the perspective of who the king is, the king of the nations, the lord of the nations. He has that perspective, and it helps him in how to live. So there's these seraphim. We sing this song, cherubim, seraphim. So angels. And so, I mean, if you want to know what a seraphim is, you get out your precious moments, and you see the, the angel with the smiley face. You know, the seraphim are really fiery ones, and there's, there's a snake-like quality to it. One of the themes of the Bible is that there is a serpent or a dragon or a sea monster. It's kind of different ways, but it's all pointing to the same thing, Leviathan. There is this creature signifying power and often evil, and the kingdom of evil is following this thing. That's, that's going on, and everyone's like, yeah. And here in this vision, that kind of image is used. There's not just one of them. There's two of them, and they serve the king. They are on fire, and they are saying, you know, they're, they're singing antiphonally, probably. They're probably. One is saying, uh, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who the whole earth is full of his glory. And then the other one starts saying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then the other one gets, and they're moving, and it's, there's action, and there's light, and there's fire at the throne. And so what is his response? Because it's shaking, remember, it says it's shaking. He can't even see everything because of all the smoke. That is what's going on, and his response is, woe to me, verse 5. I cried, I am ruined. I'm not just going to die. I'm going to be destroyed. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. I've seen who the real king is. And I'm struck by the difference at this point, the end of Uzziah's life and the beginning of Isaiah's prophetic life at where their own perspective of themselves is. Uzziah became proud. He thought he knew what was right. He didn't want people to tell him what to do. There were no, he was right. And Isaiah lives among a people of unclean lips. All right. I know a lot of us can resonate with that. We, yeah, we live among people. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. That's not where Isaiah starts. I am a man of unclean lips. I am ruined. If the Lord comes right now, if he comes right now and you have to give an account for you, 
how are you doing? Because I spend a lot of time talking about them. Them, him, her. Now, I am part of them, but where I start is an account for me. Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, Uzziah is working with those altars, those coal. He's, he's trying to like get into it like that he's in charge again. That, of course, God's going to forgive him because that's what, they're doing the sacrifices because it's all. But then he has not got the perspective that Isaiah is of just like, I cannot make this happen. And then God comes to him, I'm going to forgive you. To someone who sees like, ah, he comes to him. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. If we were to keep reading, what we'd hear is, here's your message. I want you to go talk to people and they are not going to hear. They're not going to understand. They're not going to respond. Judgment is coming. Like for us, let's think about you. Who is God sending you to to go talk about Jesus with? To literally try to share, to pray for, to invite. To, who, and who is he going to say, like, you know, there is someone in your life, there are people in your life, you should try, figure out a way to bring up Jesus. And our response can be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to make things awkward. They might, they might not get it. I might say the wrong things. I don't know. So just the idea that they might not respond well, I don't know. His assignment is, you're going to go, you know they won't respond well. Who will go for me? Who will go say what you want me to say, and they will not respond well? But Isaiah sees like he saw the king. And he realizes he is the king, he is in charge, and I am not worthy. Like if I, if it, I get what's coming to me, it's over for me. So I, you know, and then he's, but he's going to forgive me anyway. And now he says, so who's going to go for it? I will go. Well, this is what you're going to say. How long until the whole place is ruined? And destroyed, and judgment has come. Okay. That's how big God was to Isaiah, who got to see the reality that we're all going to get to see someday. Because he's the king. He is the king. Now, Isaiah is interesting in the message because it starts. There's very specific things, you know. Here, listen up, heaven and earth, listen up. I'm going to talk to you about Jerusalem and Judea and these kings, and basically I'm going to tell you that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, there's still hope. God's still going to come through. There's still forgiveness. There's still salvation, but judgment is coming. And you get to chapter 40, decades in, 
And now he says, okay, the judgment is just about finally through. So I got another message. It's called comfort, comfort my people. Prepare the way for the Lord. There is a servant who's coming and it's on him that all the punishment is going to come. And there is something that's coming around. And by the end, by the time we get to Isaiah 66, there is a new heaven and a new earth and a glorious king that is conquering. But the process starts right here. There is judgment. How are you going to respond? Specifically, how are you going to respond? How are the people you're with going to respond? And Isaiah is consistent. He is consistent because, you know what? At certain times, the kings listen to him. King Hezekiah, and he sees God move. The Assyrian army, they never took Jerusalem, even though they had it totally surrounded and they crushed everyone else. An angel of the Lord came and knocked him down. And Isaiah was praying with Hezekiah, leading him in how to pray and saying, like, don't give in. This will be okay. And it happened. Isaiah had Hezekiah's life extend. Isaiah sees the work of the Lord happen, but he also had King Ahaz say, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm still going to make the alliance. He saw Hezekiah still went and he took the Babylon back because Babylon wasn't the main power. Maybe if we get together, then we can do... And, and then he sees, okay, judgment is coming. And by the end of his life, you know what the king is saying? Like, you're arrested. Go. The uh, tradition is that he got sawed in half at the end of his life. But he stayed consistent no matter which king he was talking to, no matter if he had good news or bad news, no matter if the king responded well or didn't respond well, because he knew who the real king was. And the fear of the Lord said, this is the one. This is the one. And for me, I'm not it. I'll never be it. I need help from someone else, and the king is willing to help me. The king is willing to help me. Psalms, Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, says, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, of our sins, who could stand? If you kept a record of our sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? Uh, yeah. I memorized this verse. I can never, in the old NIV, they updated it, which is mostly the same, but in 2011, some have changed. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. If you can do the ESV version, this is the thing. That Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? Who could stand? What's it implies? None of us could even stand. But with you there is forgiveness, that therefore you may be feared. This verse is, has confused me over the years because it seems like in verse 3, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand so you should be feared? Please still forgive us. But that's not what it is. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? Nobody. But with you there's forgiveness, therefore you should be feared. We should be feared because he forgives us. We should say, God, you are my God because you forgive me. The forgiveness is what catapults us into living for him and trusting him because we can. Because we will not stand. It looks like we can stand right now. It looks like our nation can stand right now. It looks like all of those things. But there is a king. And we will give an account. And who can stand? Nobody. No, nobody. Nobody. The fear of the Lord recognizes that we are forgiven people. 
And it's like, yes, you get, you get it all. You get it all. One more passage to look up. Psalm 103. It's a passage often read after confession of sin for assurance. I'm going to read it, looking at how much God is just ready to forgive, the, the extent he's willing to forgive, that he wants to forgive, but also pay attention to what our part is in it, according to this. What is our part in it? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for who? Those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on who? Those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. In its place, it remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting... The Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Allie said something in the first service about how there's a way that some people will say, some of us will say, Jesus is Lord for the afterlife. Yes, I'm accepting that Jesus has died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to say yes to that for the afterlife. But, I might be putting words, not saying exactly how she said, but in terms of this life, is he Lord? In terms of this life, do I really not want to keep going my own way? Keep forgiving me, but I'm going to keep doing whatever I want. The fear of the Lord is connected to forgiveness. God, you are God. And I cannot stand and I cannot make it without you being my God, starting right now. Meaning every day, you are the Lord. And I can make it. I can do it. Because you are the Lord and you forgive me and you make a way for me and you're with me. And so you are the Lord right now. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Nicholas, I know it's like your Sunday off. Do you have a word or do you want to pray before going to worship? No No is an acceptable answer. He always wants to pray. Good. Good. Yeah, I think I'm supposed to be done talking. So if you want to share anything first and then pray and then we'll worship. Yeah. I think it's in... Psalm 60 or 61, it says, 
the goodness or the graciousness or the blessing of the Lord is a banner that all who fear him may run to. And that's been sitting with me uh, heavy the past few weeks as we've been going through this because, man, fear is so perverted in our minds that we're so used to running from it, right? Fight or flight, we get out of there. And true fear is not something we can conjure out of ourselves. It is something that naturally comes up when we experience the Lord. And it's so strong and so beautiful that once we experience it, we run to the Lord. Jesus, we want to run to you today. And deep love and deep awe. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us that we may know you and that worship and wonder and fear would flow out of our hearts onto your feet. That at your glorious, glorious presence, we would throw our crowns to you. Jesus.